This is Parenting for the Everyday, a podcast dedicated to meeting parents in the trenches of parenthood. We explore how our faith fits into our parenting. With the help of our guests, we are seeking practical tips on how the gospel can speak into our day-to-day parenting. From the easy stuff to the hard stuff, we want to talk about it all. You are listening to Parenting for the Everyday. I'm Becca Alvarez. And I'm Holly Dykandrew. And today we are talking about grief. Grief is a really complex topic, and we recognize that it comes in many shapes and sizes. Everyone will experience grief and sorrow at some point in their life, but it may not always be in the same form. So whether you're currently in a season of grief or maybe an unexpected season is approaching, uh, we have had grief on our heart to do for quite some time, and it has just been a little bit difficult to figure out how. We know that not all grief is applicable to everyone, um, but something about grief that seems to be common is that your world stops when you're deeply, deeply in grief. But something we know about parenting is that your world, your world never stops. So how do you do both parent and grieve at the same time? So today, we are lucky enough to have Chelsea Martin in the studio. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. If you will just take a moment and tell us about you and your family. Okay. Hello, guys. Um, my name is Chelsea Martin. I'm 36 years old. Um, I married my college sweetheart. And we've been married for 14 years, and he's amazing. Totally married up. I got super lucky. Um, we have five kids. Um, our oldest is 16. Her name is Micah. I have a 13-year-old named Lanaya, an 11-year-old named Zeke. Um, my son, Charlie, who would be seven, uh, he passed away. And then um, my daughter, Lucy, is our youngest. Chelsea, you're very open about your life and your life experiences and how your life turned out in a different way than you dreamt that it would. Um, Can you tell us more about what that means? Yeah. So I think like a lot of, you know, girls who grew up, I just dreamed I'd grow up, go to college, meet the man of my dreams, get married, have a family, have, you know, a nice life. I, I loved Jesus. I wanted to serve him. I, you know, all those things. Um, I just didn't know that it was going to come with so many hard things. And so um, when we got married, we we lived in Pennsylvania for about a year and a half. And then we moved back to my hometown, which was great because I'm a homebody. And we both got good jobs. We got this tiny little condo and we're saving up. We, you know, we're going to get our dream house in a year. We're going to have a family, you know, all these, all these plans, all these things. And not that any of that was wrong. Um, but that just wasn't God's plan. <laughs> so at two and a half months after we moved back, I got sick and was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of leukemia. And so I was hospitalized immediately and started chemo and ended up having almost two years of chemo. Um, so that little apartment that we were going to be in for less than a year turned into three plus years um, as our life kind of just went on hold um, as we figured out, okay, I'm not working anymore. My husband's still trying to work at this new job while I'm sick in the Cleveland Clinic. And, you know, there was just a lot to figure out. And all those plans slash dreams that we had thought were going to happen the next couple of years were totally not happening. So um, during that time, um, it was hard. And I, I had to let go of a lot of that and just recognize, okay, God's got something else. And um, we... 
we got to know this family at our church that were foster parents and kind of just watched their journey and thought, you know, I wonder if maybe this is what God's calling us to. We both, even when we were dating, we had told each other, if we ever get married, we really want to adopt kids. We both had this really deep uh, heart for adoption. So we we realized that even at the end of my treatments, we could start doing the foster parent classes because that's a whole process. So we started doing that and just praying about what the Lord had for us. And so we got certified as foster parents and we started getting some kids into our home. And um, maybe like six months into that journey, we had two little girls and, you know, I'm even though they tell you from the day one, you know, um, can't think of the word, Holly. Re- reconciliation. Reconciliation. Yes. I, I keep wanting to say reinforcement. <laughs> yes. I'm like, no, it's not reinforcement. Yes, that's <laughs> reconciliation. The goal. Yes. Reconciliation is the goal. Reconciliation yeah. is the goal. And like, we know that, but I'm like, these babies are mine. Like, yeah, I love hard. them. Yes. They're my girls. Yes. <laughs> and so within a span of a couple of weeks, we found out that probably both of them were going to mm-hmm. be returning home. My heart was just broken. And so I walked into the bedroom one night and I told my husband, I want to have a baby. Like right now, I think that that's going to make this whole journey easier. And I had my hands clenched like this. Like, I just need one baby that I can keep. I don't want to keep giving kids away. And he was like, okay. And I, <laughs> so we actually got pregnant like right away wow. that first month that we tried, uh, which was kind of crazy in and of itself. Because after being through, you know, two years of chemo, we just didn't even know how my body was going to respond. Like, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So we were like, oh, totally God, you know, we're pregnant. This is amazing. And um, anyways, during that pregnancy, about six months in, we found out that um, the the baby that I was carrying, who we ended up naming Charlie, was going to be born with a terminal disorder and that he would not live very long. And um, the doctors told us he would have no quality of life and strongly encouraged us to abort and start over. Well, <laughs> we didn't, obviously, um, but but during that pregnancy, the one of our foster daughters, who we'd had since an infant, went to live with an aunt at eight months, and that was a new kind of grief I had never experienced. Even though she wasn't mine, it felt like she was mine, and I don't think this is typical, but for some reason, they asked me to drop her off at the home where she was going to live, and I had never even met this aunt. I'd never been to the home, nothing, so I have all of her stuff packed up in my van. I'm driving her there. I'm sobbing the whole way. I get there. The social worker meets me in the driveway. She's like, you got to get it together. You cannot walk in there like this, and I'm like, okay. But you just mean to leave her here? Yeah. yeah I'm, like, I'm like, this is my baby, and I, you know, and... um. During that same time of pregnancy, as soon after, about a month later, our other daughter that we were fostering, who we thought was going to go back with mom, um, mom approached me at one of the visits and just said, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to give her the life that you guys will be. Uh, Do you want to adopt her? I mean, we're like super close to reunification. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, you know, so that, that was great. Um, but just, you know, another, okay, didn't see that coming. So anyways, that, that next year, Charlie was born and we adopted our daughter and, you know, the, You mentioned at the beginning, Becca, that, you know, there's different kinds of grief. There's different even levels of grief, I think. And when we found out about Charlie's disorder, um, you know, when I was still pregnant, 
we had to grieve that we weren't going to have a healthy child. And maybe that sounds bad, like, because we were still having a child. We, of course, we are still thankful. But we, like, I even remember at one of the ultrasounds, like, and it was actually the one where we found out something was wrong. My husband was looking at his little feet kicking around, and he was like, oh, he's going to be a soccer player just like me. He's going to, you know, little did we know, he was never going to walk. He was never going to talk. He was never, you know, going to do most of the things that a typical child would do. And we had to grieve that. And it was really hard. Um, And, you know, you're pregnant and everyone's so excited and so happy for you. And you want to be happy and you want to celebrate. But at the same time, you know, once you have this baby, it's going to totally change your whole life. And, you know, the doctors are telling me no quality of life. He's never going to celebrate his second birthday. You know, all the bad news that comes along with a diagnosis like that, you know, So we really had to go through a season of just grieving, Lord, this wasn't the child that we thought we were going to have, but this is a child you've given us. And um, one of the mantras I've kind of adopted along the way is choose joy. And it's just, you know, in in every circumstance we find ourselves in, there's always a choice. We don't have control over a lot of the things that happen to us. A lot of the big things that happen to us, we don't have control over, but we always have control over how we're going to respond and how we're going to just let God fill in those gaps when we feel like we can't. Um, So... Anyways, fast forward to Charlie being born. Um, he's just amazing. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on Charlie because he he just lit up our whole world. He um, obviously was unique and, you know, had some struggles. He, you know, had a feeding tube. He had multiple eye surgeries. He wore these adorable little glasses that were so thick and so, so precious. Cute. <laughs> um, and it was like learning to... Um, I had a couple of friends who were pregnant at the same time as me. So they had babies at the same time that Charlie was born. And you know how it is, like, you just kind of compare. You don't even mm-hmm. mean to. But as a mom, you're like, oh, wow, their kid now can sit up. Their kid now can crawl. Their kid now can walk. Like, they're, You know, Charlie couldn't do any of that stuff. He wasn't reaching any of those milestones. Um, and that was another thing I had to grieve and just learn to, like, okay, Charlie's not going to ever do those things most likely. But Charlie was doing so many amazing things, like so many different things we learned to celebrate as a family and as his parents. And I think the Lord just met us there in a really big way and gave us this ability to like see how precious Charlie was and what a gift he was. Um, So that was that was really beautiful, and I'm sure I'll talk more about that. But anyways, we everyone thought we were going to quit being foster parents at this point, you know, because we get this special needs child. We adopted one daughter, but we're like, nope, we're still doing this. <laughs> so uh, we did take about a seven-month break while we kind of adjusted to life with Charlie. Um, but then we, we got two little girls, and they um, were so sweet and so precious. And again, it looked like, oh, they're probably going to be our girls. And so they were with us for over a year. And, um, I can remember even when they were with us and my daughter that we had already adopted was six at the time. And the girls that came were five and sevens. They were all right in a row. And it was so fun. They all played together, you know, loved to play house and Barbies and all the things. And, but I remember one day I was in the kitchen, I was listening to them play house and, you know, typical play house. It's like, okay, you're the mom, you're the dad, you're the friend, you're the daughter, you know, whatever their house was, you're the social worker, you're the cop, Mm. you're the kid that gets taken. You're the, they're banging on doors, you know, and like totally unfazed by it. And I'm just listening like, but that's what they know. Like this has been their life, you know? 
And that's something I had to grieve. Like as crazy as it sounds, like my girls in my safe, loving home can't even play house the way that, you know, other kids can because they don't know that safety. They don't know that security. That That's not, you know. Um, so anyways, we just continued through. Um, they ended up going with a relative and on and on it went for we so in the seven years that we fostered we had 17 kids um which i know might sound like a lot but just keep in mind they don't all stay for a super long time we we never had more than five kids at once so um we you know some stayed for a year some stayed for a year and a half some just stayed for a weekend like it just depended on what the need was and um you know how long they needed to be with us but there were some very, very, very tough goodbyes during that season. Um, I mean, I don't know that there was ever an easy goodbye, to be honest. Some were tougher than others. You know, there were times I felt like this child should not be going to this place <laughs> or they're not ready or they know they need me, you know. Um, and oh my goodness, what I just cry and cry and cry and kind of just go into this little place where I would just have to sit in my grief for a while and just ask the Lord to meet me there. And uh, one of the biggest truths I had to be reminded of and ironically, when I said I need to have my baby that I can keep forever, and then the Lord gives me a baby with terminal illness, um, is these kids are not my own, none of them. Whether I've had them biologically, whether I've adopted them, whether I've fostered them, they're all his, and he loves them way more than I do. And so I have to trust his plan for their lives, even when it just doesn't look right and it doesn't feel right. And, um, you know, like my husband would have to remind me, like, no social worker is going to get in the way of God's plan because I'd be like, the social worker doesn't know what they're doing. Like, they're, they need to listen to me. They need to put me on the stand when we go to court. And, you know, and he'd be like, no. <laughs> um, so I think that was, um, and I think a lot of people who haven't been in the foster care world don't always understand that grief because it's like, well, it wasn't your kid. And I'm like, well, it wasn't, but it was. <laughs> like, it felt like it was. Like, mm -hmm. I tucked them into bed every night for a year. I kissed their boo-boos. I taught them about Jesus. Like, I loved them as if they were my own. And then they left. And I don't know what's going to happen to them, you know. Um, so that was, you know, a, a season of grief for sure. Um, then we, in 2020... We realized that our daughter that we had adopted, um, who's now 13, that she came to live with us when she was four, the in and out of the kids for so many years was really starting to wear on her um, in, in the sense of she she came from a lot of trauma before she came to our house, and she just didn't have the ability emotionally to process all these kids coming. She falls in love with them. They're her siblings for six months, then they leave, you know. Um, so we talked to our agency and said, you know, we would love to have more kids. We have room in our home, but we just don't know that we can continue on the foster route. We would love to just adopt some kids that are like already in need of a home. And we don't mind if they're older, you know, um, we actually didn't want any babies because we had Charlie who was kind of like a baby in, in ways cause he needed care 24 seven and everything. So they approached us about this sibling group that is now my 16 year old and my 11 year old. And they said, okay, well, what, like, are you interested in this? Da, da, da. You know, so we start the process. This is right before the pandemic. 
well, maybe like two weeks after we said yes to moving forward with the sibling group, we get a call from my daughter's birth mom, who we had already adopted, um, because we had kept in touch with her all these years. And she said, hey, I'm six months pregnant. Do you want the baby? We're like, okay. Um, So we weren't going to do any more babies, but, (laughs) and we just said yes to the sibling group and we know there's going to be a lot of stuff, but okay. (laughs) You know, like how could we say no to our daughter's sibling? Like there was no way. So in um, July of 2020, our sibling group, they were uh, 12 and 8 at the time, moved in. And then three weeks later, we got a newborn from the the NICU. Uh, So it was like a whole thing. And it was COVID. So it was like not (laughs) normal life. I can't can't even (laughs) fathom like how I would. Yeah. And we we still had Charlie, obviously, and, and our other daughter. And, you know, everyone's like, you guys are insane. And we're like, we don't know. We're just. Do it, you know, um, and it, it and as crazy as it sounds, we we knew with our whole hearts this is what the Lord had asked us to say yes to. So, um, kind of started that journey, and um, I think I learned with especially my older kids that have come to me so much later in life. Um, wow, the things they've seen, the things they've experienced, the the things that they've lost because of, you know, situations that they were in was really, really hard for me. Um, I think, you know, I kind of talked about, you know, grieving during my cancer journey and kind of letting go of what I thought my life would look like. But the, the grief that I have experienced and continue to experience over my kids is so much greater than any of that. Um, I mean, just simple things like just really struggling in school and having mm-hmm. normal friendships and figuring out how to, you know, talk to people and feel confident in certain situations and feel safe. You know, I like tell them all the time, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. But um, it's just there because of the trauma that they've been through, because of that innocence that was stolen from them, they're just not, you know, they're just not the same. And that like ails me. (laughs) And it's one thing I take to the Lord on a daily basis, like, Lord, why did they have to go through all this? Like, this is something they're going to carry for so long. And, um, but you know what? I, going back to that, choose joy. You always have a choice. I have to remember, but the Lord brought them out of that. They could still be there. They could be in a much worse place. And he chose to bring them out of that. And there's hope. And, you know, with the Lord, there's always hope. And so um, there are times when I have to just sit in that grief, though. And I think um, (laughs) I have some very dear friends and family members who are not sitters of grief. Like when there's grief, they're like, all right. It happened. Let's deal with it. You're going to be fine, you know, kind of thing. And I used to think like, okay, you know, and now I've learned, no, I need to sit in this for a minute. I need to just recognize that this was really, this is really hard. What happened to them was really unjust. Mm -hmm. It's because we live in this sinful, broken world and they were taken advantage of and it's not their fault. And though now we have to pick up the pieces and we have to hold them accountable and we have to put all the things in place to make sure that they can heal and recover and that other people are safe around them and just all that stuff you don't have to think about if, you know, um, it's okay. Like it, the, the Lord is still there and he, 
he's in the business of redeeming these things and and making beauty from ashes. And so, um, yeah, I'm trying to. Th oh, okay. I so so 2020. Yeah, crazy time. Um, I think some of what I was dealing with at home with my kids and not having my regular outlets of like ladies Bible studies and doing this and having dinners and, you know, all that kind of stuff during 2020, that was sort of like, eh. um, I began to really struggle and I fell into a very, very deep place, um, like winter, spring of 2021. Um, and I know grief was a big part of it. It was really overwhelming. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't have my normal outlets that were helping me. Um, and I fell into a really, really deep depression and even became suicidal. And thankfully, my husband is amazing and was like, honey, we got to get help. Like, you, I can't watch you like this, you know. And so we did. <laughs> and I'm doing a lot better. Um and some of the things that um, I know some of you listening might be there right now. You might be in that season where you feel completely hopeless, where you just feel like it might be better if I wasn't even here. Um, and that was the lie that I was believing on a daily basis. My family would be better without me. I'm failing them. I, I'm, you know, all the things. I'm the worst friend. I'm this. I'm that. Um, and no matter what people said to me, it just didn't click. <laughs> Um, so if you're there, I'm just going to encourage you to get help. Tell tell someone you trust, tell someone who loves you, and let them help you. And and for me, that was my husband. And um, some of those things, some of the things that helped me a lot during that time of just processing some of that grief and working through that depression was um, I had always been fairly consistent with my time with the Lord, but I decided that it needed to be my first thing. Like I needed to set my alarm. I needed to be up before everybody when it was quiet and just reset my heart and my mind with the Lord. So that was a practice I started during that time. Um, I did see a counselor. I did go on some medicine. It's not bad or wrong or scary. <laughs> you can do it. Um, I just recently actually asked a woman to start mentoring me um, to just, I, I wanted like a dedicated relationship of someone who was going to like ask me the hard questions, hold me accountable for things. Um, and the other big one, which this is funny because I am an open sharer, but when it came to this specific thing, I got really like on lockdown. I like didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to see anybody, like wasn't responding to text, didn't want to, you know, um, and I realized how detrimental that was for me. And so once I kind of worked through it and was in a better place, I really did open up with my close friends and family and Facebook, honestly, because why not? And just said, listen, this is what I went through. And and if I'm here again, like this is how I need people to, to walk with me and to enter into that. And my husband is very aware and very sensitive to, you know, if and I'm like, honey, it's just a bad day. I'm fine. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you sure? You know, um, but it was just such a dark period for for me and for us that um yeah I think they're all scared that it's going to happen again um but yeah that's kind of been my journey oh well, well and then in 2021 going along with that um Charlie did pass away and um even though we knew his diagnosis was terminal um I don't think anything ever really prepares you for losing a child um and he actually died very suddenly it was like he was fine one day, 
the next day he was gone. It was very, which ironically, I shouldn't even say ironically, we we prayed all of Charlie's life, Lord, when it's time for you to take him, please don't let him suffer. Like just let it be one of those things where he just goes, he's just ready. And he did. And it was still extremely hard. And, but um, I don't know, the, the Lord met me there in a way that I can't even explain. You know, all of Charlie's life, I would think, I don't know what I'm going to do when I lose Charlie. I don't know what I'm going to do when I lose Charlie. I'm not going to be able to go on. Like, I'm not, you know, but I did. (laughs) And you do. You have kids. You have four other kids. What do you do? You can't just lay on the couch all day and cry, which I did do that some days. Um, But even that grief journey was interesting because I, you know, I have these four kids like staring at me like, mom, are you going to get off the couch? Like, we need to eat. (laughs) We need to, you know. And um, the other thing I had to keep in mind was, especially for my oldest, she had watched some very pivotal people in her life go through hard things, but the way they handled their grief was not good. It was, it was drugs. It was alcohol. It was suicide. It was, you know, and so that was very heavy on my heart, knowing that she's watching me work through this. And so I would like be on my knees, Lord, help me work through this grief in a healthy manner so that I'm not going to even like scar my kids further. You know, like I want them to see me be sad. I want them to see me grieve Charlie. That's just natural. But I want them to see me look to you for strength and and find my hope in you, even in the darkest of days. Um, and he really met me where I was at, truly. You know, the, the verse, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, like... I think of that so often and I share that with people so often. You know, the Bible never says it's wrong to be sad. The Bible never says it's wrong to grieve. It's a very normal part of our life. And I think the older we get and the more hard experiences we walk through, whether in our own life or with like very people that are very dear to us, like you're going to experience those deep levels of grief and the Lord will meet you where you're at. And, um, Honestly, I've experienced my relationship with him in such a deeper way than I could have ever dreamed. Um, so, yeah, there you go in a nutshell. <laughs> no, first of all, thank you so much for being vulnerable and telling us all the different parts of the story. Uh, Chelsea, we've known each other a long time. We actually went to high school together. And so I have had um, a front row seat through social media and mutual friends of being able to kind of watch your life unfold um, from when we graduated to how we are now. Um, And one thing that has amazed me is that no matter what season of grief you are, you really try your hardest to point to God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Um, And I know you didn't feel it always. You didn't feel God's faithfulness and you didn't feel his goodness in some of these dark, broken moments. So would you kind of talk through the process of how you get back to his faithfulness and goodness when you lose sight of it or how you can even see it in the midst of some of this pain? Yeah. So I think sometimes, at least for me, I used to think it was either like you're sad or you're happy, like you're angry or you're not like, you know, like, and so I I had to struggle through like, how do I sit in this like deep pain and intense grief, but still recognize God's goodness? Like, can those coexist? Can I be in that place simultaneously. And I think you can, because I've experienced it. And um, 
like I said, sometimes it's hard to explain and to put into words, but I mean, I don't know if it's supernatural or what, but the Lord has just, um, you know, especially with Charlie, I think I've seen other people who've lost a child, um, and I don't blame them for this, but they've kind of become very bitter and resentful and how could God do that? You know, my life is ruined now, you know, whatever. And I knew I didn't want to go there. Um, and so I just would say to the Lord, Lord, show me how to work through this in a way that is going to honor you. And that isn't going to take me to that really dark place forever. Like even if I have to sit there for a minute. And so, um, yeah, I think resting in that truth of who God is. He is good. He has good plans for me. Like giving me a child with terminal illness wasn't a punishment. Mm -hmm. Taking my child away from me wasn't a punishment. Like none of these things are are bad things necessarily that are like because of I've done something horrible and now he's punishing me. And I think, and I know this is the Lord and his goodness, um, ever since Charlie's passed, of course, there's moments when I'm like, but why God? Or like, mm -hmm. I, what would I give to have him back? Yet he has filled me way, way, way more with thankfulness. Like you got to be Charlie's mom. Do you know how lucky you are? <laughs> like you got, you know, the doctors told you Charlie was going to have no quality of life. Charlie had the best life. <laughs> Like all Charlie knew was love and safety and care. And, you know, you, you thought you'd only get maybe two years with him. You got five and a half. Like what a gift. Like even all my kids that I have now all got to know Charlie for at least nine months. Hmm. Like what a gift. So we can talk about Charlie. We can grieve Charlie together because they knew him, you know, um, there's just so many things, I think, once I came out of that really, really dark place of of grief that I can just recognize now that are gifts and that I'm really, really thankful mm -hmm. for. Um, and I know not everyone, I know some of you listening, like you'll be like, oh, I don't know how I could ever be thankful for my circumstance. I hear that. There are things with my kids that I've adopted that I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to be thankful for this. <laughs> You're going to have to show me because this just feels all wrong and all, you know, but I think God will. I think he'll show you where you're at. He'll show you how to find joy. Um, and he has for me. He has been so faithful in that. So. Um, so we kind of mentioned that there's all these different types of grief, like you've walked us through some, and I know people listening have ones that are really, really deep, or maybe ones that to other people wouldn't feel so, so deep, but in all the different levels and seasons of grief, uh, that we're all experiencing, what is maybe, uh, one thing as we kind of wrap up that you want people to hear or to leave with one thing in their grief, uh, that they should hear? Um, okay. So that was like, oh man, one thing, uh, Holly sent this to me ahead of time. And I like literally was just staring at my notebook. I don't, how do I choose one thing? But, um, I think probably for me, and I, and I hope this is really encouraging to those of you listening. The biggest thing I've learned, um, through my grief journey is don't shut people out of it. Let people into it. It's hard. It's messy. It's awkward. <laughs> um, I have a dear friend who has walked through some really, really dark roads, and she has let me inside of some of those darkest moments. And what a gift. And she's just taught me that um, 
it's a gift for her, but it's also a gift for me to be with her in those most vulnerable moments. And I remember driving home from the hospital the day that Charlie died. Like I, We'd driven home from the hospital tons of times, but Charlie was always with me, and this time Charlie wasn't with me. I can't even put into words how hard that was. And when we pulled up to our driveway, like a bunch of my friends' cars were in the driveway. And I was like, I don't want to go in. Like, I don't want to see anybody right now. I just, I was like, just do a looper on the block. You know, I'm like, maybe they'll leave. <laughs> they didn't leave. <laughs> um, and I finally went in and they just hugged. We didn't even say anything. You don't need to say anything. Um, and I think sometimes people don't, don't want to enter into people's grief because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know. And people don't want to let them in because they know they're going to feel that way. (laughs) And it just feels too awkward or too hard. But wow, have I experienced some of the sweetest moments with people and some of the darkest moments of my life and of their lives because they let me in and I let them in. And, you know, we weren't meant to walk any part of our life alone. You know, when we're celebrating big, we want people with us. When we're grieving, we should have people with us too who can just sit there with us in our grief and, and, I don't know. I that that's just been a, a big thing I've learned. Don't hide your grief from others. I think that was one of the big reasons I fell into my really deep depression was because I wasn't talking to people about how hard things were, what I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And now that I can do that, um, and my friends have even learned like if it's if, if I'm having a rough week, sometimes I do kind of go into a hole. And so the, I haven't heard you from me today. What's going on? Is everything okay? You know, they've just kind of learned how to reach out and I'm like okay and I need to respond to that because they're trying to be there for me um so yeah don't don't hide in your grief don't don't be ashamed of it um let yourself sit in it and let others sit with you because that's a gift that you're giving to them and that they're giving to you well Chelsea we cannot thank you enough for being here for being so open being vulnerable grief is a heavy topic like you said and I think it's hard to look at it's hard to feel um but we're so appreciative of you opening up and being vulnerable and sharing your story. And I know it was very impactful for me and I'm sure so many so many of our listeners. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been Parenting for the Everyday. Tune in next time.